0: Hey, so before we start today's episode, I just wanna let you know that the candle shop, Knox and Vesta, is doing a secret little private sale. We're not super announcing it or anything, but it's going on for this weekend only. If you purchase three candles, you'll get the fourth one for free. So, ta-da, there's that little note for you. Make sure to check it out. Some of my favorite scents I'm craving right now, as per usual, Tempest. I've also been really digging Rococo, Lab 75, and Adonis has kind of turned into my new favorite recently. It's kind of like the boyfriend candle. It's very masculine, very musky, very sexy. I've recently been burning that one in my bedroom and I don't know, it just, it brings me great happiness. So anyway, if you wanna check that out, noxvesta.com. If you've ever heard someone say that picking up and throwing a dog is justified, you may have been listening to a Greyhound racing spokesman. Greyhounds have been abused throughout this industry, but far beyond the scope of being worked too hard or kept in cages all day. They've also been sold off to laboratories and veterinarian universities to be used as test subjects, given cocaine before races, and been put down time and time again without reason. Yet these inhumane practices still are not banned in every state, why? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Prism of the Past. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to talk about greyhound racing. Please keep in mind that this episode will heavily discuss animal abuse. So please click away if this is not something you're in the headspace to listen to today. While greyhound racing isn't entirely a thing of the past, its popularity has plummeted in recent years. But let's start by addressing how greyhound racing began, the dark side of the industry, and then we'll get into its modern day decline. Greyhound racing can be traced back hundreds, if not thousands of years. It was once known as coursing, back when greyhounds were released to pursue a hare. Back in 150 AD, Greek philosopher Arian described it in Arian on Hunting, and the first coursing club was formed in 1776. Each dog was judged on its performance, speed, and success in catching the hare. As Greyhounds can be airborne during a gallop for twice as long as most other dog breeds, and they have an extended aerial phase, they're without a doubt one of the fastest dog breeds out there. Unfortunately, their build also makes them the most susceptible to injuries. Greyhounds have long foot bones and high muscle mass. Their 2% body fat content makes it difficult for them to stay warm. And even running at an angle, like when turning on a racetrack, can cause stress fractures and other foot injuries. So they may be fast, but they can be fragile too. As for modern Greyhound racing, the invention of the mechanical lure made that possible in 1919. Owen Smith, who invented the lure, formerly known as the inanimate hair conveyor, also designed the first modern Greyhound track, the Blue Star Amusement Company. Blue Star failed, but the first successful track was the Miami Kennel Club. This was in large part because it had electric lights, allowing working people to attend the races at night. In 1925, Derby Lane also opened in Florida and pulled a sneaky hat trick. While not allowing betting, it allowed people to financially participate in the races. They sold shares in the dogs and winners would get a dividend and losers didn't. Bets weren't technically permitted until after the Great Depression in 1931, when Florida legislators passed a bill to legalize it. Apparently, the governor, Doyle Carlton, opposed the bill. And when gamblers allegedly offered him $100,000 to sign it, he vetoed it instead. State senators overrode the veto, leading to more dog tracks popping up throughout the state in the following years. Looking to generate revenue after the depression, Oregon and Massachusetts also authorized dog racing in the early 1930s. New Jersey briefly authorized dog racing on a trial period in 1934, but ruled it unconstitutional the following year. Church, civic, and humane organizations were the most common opposers of Greyhound racing, but it spread throughout the states anyway. Colorado, South Dakota, and Arkansas all legalized dog racing by 1957, and by the 1980s, so did 12 more states. Around this time, Greyhound racing was not only at its peak, but it was the sixth most popular sporting activity overall. Various organizations formed by track owners cropped up over the years, like the National Coursing Association, later named the National Greyhound Association, the American Greyhound Track Owners Association and the International Greyhound Racing Association, which never actually was international despite the name. However, while greyhound racing was a lucrative business for much of the 1900s, one party involved suffered greatly, the greyhounds themselves. Let's begin this journey with the puppies. What happens when a greyhound is bred to race? Well, according to National Geographic, these litters of future racers are reported to the National Greyhound Association. The puppy's right ears are tattooed with their birth date and litter order. The left ear has their registration number. During training, puppies start with straight paths and lure at the end of a pole. Eventually, the young greyhounds graduate to larger circular tracks with a mechanical lure, all by the time they are about 18 months old. But this is a competition after all. Breeders and owners only want the best racers. According to an article in a 1952 issue of Greyhound Racing Record, less than 30% of greyhounds born on breeding farms were suited to race. This means that thousands upon thousands of greyhound puppies are unaccounted for every year. When the National Greyhound Association or NGA approved the use of artificial insemination to make it easier and cheaper to produce more puppies, this only exacerbated overbreeding. One 1958 kennel operator put it bluntly and stated that there were three kinds of greyhounds in a litter. Those who breed, those who race, and those who die. In recent years, we've begun to see just how many puppies may be in that latter category. Grey 2K founded in 2001 is currently the largest greyhound protection organization worldwide. They've shed a lot of light on this topic and as one of their articles on breeding states. Grade 2K USA analyzed two forms of whelping data provided by the NGA from 2012 to 2014, aggregate data and individual data. What was discovered is that in each of these three years, the number of puppies reported as registered racers in the aggregate data was significantly lower than the number of puppies born, according to individual whelping reports. The discrepancy amounted to 8,422 puppies that were not accounted for, effectively becoming disappeared puppies the NGA stopped providing complete individual data in 2015. These statistics are from recent years, but in 1988, when well over 37,000 greyhound puppies were born, these discrepancies had the potential to be far greater. In 1990, the director of Arizona Maricopa County shelter killed up to 500 greyhounds each year, some from breeders, some from racers. Plus the Massachusetts SPCA euthanized dogs for a fee of $3 each all the way until 1985. Tragically, many thousands of dogs like these, greyhounds that weren't cut out to be racers have been needlessly put down or worse, shot in the head by kennel owners that felt it would be more expedient and humane. One blog post from the website GRA America written by someone that claims to work within the industry denies these culling practices altogether. These disappearing puppies are nothing more than stillbirths or truly sick puppies that need to be put down, they state. And many of them are adopted, not culled. However, it's not just the questionable status of these missing puppies that activist groups find upsetting, but the way puppies are treated since birth, even when they are chosen. One illustrated story called The Life of a Racing Greyhound on the Gray2K website depicts the true story of a racing greyhound named Bagface. Bagface was born at a Kansas breeding facility in October, 2010, and given newspaper and carpet scraps for bedding. Then, just in time for winter, as the story says, she was moved to an outdoor pen with a cement doghouse. Remember that with only 2% body fat, it's especially difficult for greyhounds to keep warm in cold weather. Then at two to three months old, she received tattoos on her ears and at one year old, began learning to run in circles. Bagface was transported to Wheeling Dog Track at about 16 to 18 months old and spent 20 hours a day confined to a cage. She won her first race in April, 2012. A month later, Bagface was sick and couldn't eat or race. But by June, 2012, Bagface was on the track again. She got injured that month and was transported to Florida where she ran 28 races in six months. Unfortunately, Bagface finished last in five out of seven races. So she was brought to Tennessee to become a breeding dog. As of their story's release, she was still being used as such. Now, As rough as the introduction to all of this is, I am telling you now, it is going to get worse. I'm placing an ad right here, and this is literally your final warning because it's going to get much worse and much more graphic following this ad break. By now, you've probably seen the gift guides for the holiday season, gifts for moms, gifts for guys, gifts for your neighbor's cousin's dogs. You could study all those gift guides and shop at 10,000 different places, or you can start your shopping at Raycon and get everyone a gift they will use. I think a lot of you know that I've been using my Raycons for well over a year at this point. I take them when I go like shopping at grocery stores, I take them when I'm walking Casper, I take them around when I'm just reading books around the house, Like they are great for everything. They'd be useful for anyone on your Christmas list too. And even better, they start at just half the price of other premium audio brands. And with free shipping and returns, gifting is easier than ever. So the holidays are coming up faster than you think. Now is the time to knock out that gift list and avoid the last minute shipping scramble. Especially because right now my listeners will get 15% off site-wide with code holiday at buyraycon.com prism. Go to buyraycon.com slash prism and use code holiday today and get 15% off your entire Raycon order. byrayconcom slash prism. Maybe this year for the holidays, you wanna give yourself or someone else the gift of dolphin legs. Well, now you can with Athena Club razor kit. Athena Club's razor is designed with built-in skin guards to help prevent razor burn while being gentle on curves. It's surrounded by a water activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid. And the best part about this razor kit is it's only $9. It comes with two blade heads and magnetic hook for shower storage and your choice of handle color. The razor also comes in six different color options, but they also have black and white razors, which is something that you'd think all of those color choices would be more readily available, but they aren't. I have the coral color right now and I really like just the little pop of color that it just gives my shower. Plus, I really like the magnetic hook so it just hangs on my shower wall. Plus, you'll never have to worry about running out of refills or being stuck with dull overused razors because you can choose how often replacement blades are sent to you with free shipping. So show your skin you care this holiday season with Athena Club Razor Kit. Sign up today and you'll get 20% off your first order. Just go to athenaclub.com and use promo code PRISM. That's athenaclub.com with promo code PRISM for 20% off. The treatment of young greyhounds couldn't stay hidden for long. Even in the early days of greyhound racing, industry abuse was apparent. At times, it came from the breeders, handlers, and kennel operators themselves. According to Britannica, these dogmen went on strike in 1935, 48, 57, and 75, each time demanding greater fairness in booking and a higher cut of the bets on their dogs. Striking is one thing, but in Arizona, dogmen threatened to kill 25 dogs per day in 1975 until track management met their demands. Harming innocent animals is despicable in of itself, but the Greyhounds' lives were, in this case, seen as nothing more than a bargaining chip. The state attorney general at the time blocked the killings, calling them senseless, repulsive, inhumane, unjust, and immoral, accurate descriptors to be sure. Public interest grew from these strikes and beginning in the 70s, the media started to investigate how Greyhounds were treated behind the scenes. In 1975, the National Enquirer published an article entitled, Greyhound Racing, where brutality and greed finish ahead of decency. And a few years later in 1978, a young Geraldo Rivero took a firsthand look at the training and coursing of Kansas Greyhounds on ABC. A couple of blogs analyzing this episode stated that Rivera focused more on the fact that greyhounds were chasing live hares as opposed to the condition of the dogs themselves. Either way, more eyes and attention were on greyhound racing. That same year, a bill would ban live lure training was introduced by Senator Birch Bein, though it didn't become law the industry promised to regulate itself. According to the book, Stories Rabbits Tell by Susan E. David and Margot DeMello, the NGA claimed that industry members who use live lures may be expelled from greyhound racing for life. Of course, it's one thing to say that live lures aren't allowed and it's another to actually uphold the rule. The Animal Rights Foundation of Florida states, quote, for each of the approximately 17,000 greyhounds registered in one year, at least five small animals, mostly rabbits, are killed in training. Less aggressive dogs are often placed in a cage with a rabbit or another animal and are not released or fed until they kill the cage companion. Instances of live lure training are still being uncovered decades later. In 2002, breeder Gregory Wood lost his state license after 180 rabbits were found at his kennel. Nine years later, in 2011, Timothy Norbert Titsworth was caught training greyhounds with live rabbits by Texas authorities. Then again, in mid 2020, Gray 2K reported that they found evidence of this barbaric practice in Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas. All 37 dogs they discovered that had been trained this way were racing in West Memphis, Arkansas. This isn't just happening in the States either, but all over the world. In Australia, one track owner tied a mother and baby possum to a lure arm to train their greyhounds. After a few laps, the baby possum was flung from the back of the mother, and the mother possum had her spinal cord snapped in half. Rabbits, possums, piglets, and kittens have all been used as live lures in Australia, despite its illegality there. Yet the Minister of Agriculture, Barnaby Joyce, criticized animal activists upon seeing this footage because they had trespassed in order to record the live bait training. Live baiting and the horrific footage around it helped further open the conversation around animal abuse in greyhound training. People began to question how the greyhounds themselves were being treated. We know that puppies are bred to race and sometimes trained with live animals. What about once they're on the track? According to a report by the ASPCA and Gray 2K, things don't get much better, even for the greyhounds that make it that far. They're kept in warehouse style kennels in rows of stacked cages, have shredded paper or pieces of carpet for beds and remain in cages for most of their lives. Neglect is common and emaciated or deceased dogs have been found in kennels on numerous occasions. Sometimes this results in multiple felony charges of animal cruelty. Other times these animals receive little to no justice. The Greyhound Dooley, for example, had a four inch open and infected puncture wound in his neck in 2009. His trainer Martinez lied to investigators and claimed he had taken Dooley to a vet when he hadn't and gave Dooley unprescribed medication. Martinez, despite being arrested for felony cruelty to animals was still working at a Greyhound track less than a year later. It took another year before he was made to surrender his license to the state. Whether or not greyhounds have been treated this way from the very beginning is hard to say, given the lack of reporting. However, we do know that negligence is only the tip of the iceberg. When organized crime bled into dog racing and notorious criminals like Bugsy Siegel, Lucky Luciano, and Al Capone started joining the sport in the 50s, rumors about fixed races spread. While this might mean money for the mafia, it meant more harm for the Greyhounds. Some dogs were allegedly overfed or had their toes cinched with rubber bands to slow or stop them from running. One such rumor about Greyhounds being drugged has plenty of evidence behind it. Multiple trainers in Florida have either had their licenses suspended or revoked when their dogs have tested positive for cocaine. Unfortunately, simply kicking one trainer out of the industry for doping doesn't really seem to stop it from continuing. Some dogs, like one named Flicka, tested positive for cocaine five times. In one four month span, 12 separate greyhounds tested positive. From 2008 to 2017, there were 62 positive cocaine tests and other drugs like anabolic steroids and industrial solvents have also been found in racing dog systems. Whether or not these dogs were intentionally exposed to cocaine, we can't state with absolute certainty. But as any amount of cocaine can harm them, this pattern of consistent exposure is beyond concerning." Kerry Thiel, executive director of Gray 2K, has called the matter deeply disturbing, and according to the Washington Post, believes that too much blame is put on the trainer as opposed to dog owners and kennel owners, he said. It does seem as though the system is set up for the trainer to be the fall guy. It's appropriate for the trainer to be disciplined, but the investigation should not stop there. There are more people who have responsibility. It sure seems that the higher ups in these operations are confident they won't be caught given the language they use. James Barney O'Donnell, who runs one of the largest Greyhound compounds in Florida openly admitted to reporters that quote, "'We use testosterone on our females, yes. We've been using it for years and years,' end quote. Other kennel owners have been fined and suspended for 60 days after testosterone has been discovered in their kennels, but the industry as a whole seems to take little action against owners doping their dogs." Aside from the possibility of drugs, questions also arise about other things greyhounds put into their bodies, like the food. Racing greyhounds are fed 4-D meat, beef that comes from dying, diseased, disabled, or dead livestock. It's cheap, but can expose these greyhounds to salmonella, E. coli, and lead to false drug positives because of the drug residue. Those that support greyhound racing have made the argument that 4-D meat is present in a lot of pet food and E. coli is killed off when meat is cooked. This may be true, but as greyhounds are eating this meat raw, E. coli can still be ingested. The GRA support blog we mentioned earlier reads, the truth is that when meat is purchased from a reliable packing facility and handled correctly, the possibility of occurrence of E. coli infection is extremely small and incidences of Alabama rot are rare. CRGV is a vascular disease that was so common in greyhounds in an Alabama racetrack in the 1980s that it actually got the nickname Alabama rot. The disease is rare, but it still originated in greyhounds and has been linked to contaminated feed. Therefore, being concerned by these greyhounds diets is a warranted response, given the history of how they've been treated. Even if you were to make the argument that some greyhounds may be treated well, fed good food and loved, this does not change how frequently they're injured within the racing industry. Though some states don't report their greyhound injury data, from January 2008 to November 2014, the ASPCA and Gray2K reports state that almost 12,000 greyhound injuries were reported in the US. The most common injury was a leg fracture with other fractured bones, lacerations, and sprains, or pulled muscles following that. At least 758 of these greyhounds died or were euthanized after these injuries. A few examples they list are as follows. A three-year-old Greyhound named LNB Nightmare was electrocuted during a race on March 9, 2014 at Tucson Greyhound Park in Arizona. She collided with another dog, fell into the electrified rail and died. On June 9, 2012, a one and a half year old red brindle Greyhound named SH Transporter was euthanized after breaking his right front leg during a race at DeBayek Greyhound Park. He had to be carried off the track. On October 31st, 2008, a three-year-old Brindle Greyhound named U2 Wood was euthanized after he suffered a broken neck during a race and collapsed on the track at Gulf Greyhound Park. According to state records, U2 Wood was injured on two other occasions before his fatal injury, including a broken leg he suffered only 16 weeks earlier. These are only three out of hundreds of dogs that died within this timeframe. If these dogs sound young to you, well, they're not by industry standard. The vast majority of Greyhound racers are retired by the age of five as they start to slow down. While some cases of Greyhounds being injured and euthanized aren't reported, many are swept under the rug and handled far more brutally. In 2002, the New York Times broke the story that Robert Rhodes, a former security guard at the Pensacola, Florida racetrack, frequently shot Greyhounds and buried them on his property for a fee of $10 each. Rhodes admitted to doing this his entire adult life. He was 68 when this article was published. Investigators said they believed Rhodes killed anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 dogs in just the last 10 years. Who knows how many in total? Rhodes claimed that he always shot the dogs in the brain to give them a quick, painless death, but several of the dogs that had been exhumed were shot in the mouth or neck. As many veterinarians refuse to kill healthy animals, the greyhounds that simply aren't cut out to be racers, that's where Rhodes stepped in. Mr. Whetstone, the county's district attorney, told the New York Times, "'We've seen this before. "'A madman called Hitler was doing it, "'trying to create a super race. Well, they're overbreeding "'because they're trying to get super dogs, "'these dogs are not unhealthy. "'They were just slow.'" Whether young dogs or retirees, greyhounds that can't race serve no purpose for the track. The NGA estimated that in 2009, between 2,000 to 3,000 racing dogs were killed each year. Then in 2011, they estimated that they had no cumulative annual records to substantiate their estimates. Several states, including Florida, are required by law to provide adoption services, but as we clearly saw in the Rhodes case, this doesn't keep all Greyhounds safe. The lack of papers and record keeping also means that Greyhounds can continually slip through the system's cracks. As recent as May, 2017, Florida investigators found three Greyhounds with expired vaccination records and 43 missing proof of vaccinations entirely. The kennels they were investigating, of all places, belonged to the NGA director, James Blansard. If the National Greyhound Association director himself can't produce a kennel roster for greyhounds in his own buildings, then it speaks volumes about where the priorities of the NGA lie. Without proper reporting, the industry's claim that more than 90% of all registered greyhounds are adopted or returned to the farm as pets or breeders isn't a sure thing. Again, even if it were 100% fact that this many greyhounds do get adopted, it doesn't change the fact that in 2015, an average of one greyhound died at a Florida dog track every three days. Tragically, things do somehow still get worse from here. There is another alternative aside from the earlier three roles we've seen greyhounds play, breeding, racing, and death. The fourth option is experimentation. 85% of Greyhounds are universal blood donors, meaning their blood can be used in all other dogs. Other breeds typically have less than a 50% chance of being a universal donor, and Greyhound blood is even unusually rich in red blood cells too, making this breed coveted for reasons other than their speed. As you can imagine, because the abuse of Greyhound racers is already so prevalent, people treating them as lab rats also became another element of this cycle of abuse. Back in 1989, the Associated Press reported that 20 young greyhounds had been illegally sold to the Letterman Army Institute of Research in San Francisco for bone breaking protocols. Between 1995 and 1998, 2,600 X racers were donated for terminal teaching labs at the Colorado State University Veterinary School. The book, A Primer on Animal Rights, reveals more details about this case, stating that about half the dogs were only two years old, though their ages ranged from puppies to 10 year olds. Two thirds of the dogs donated weren't even needed. They were considered excess and killed immediately after arrival. The remaining one third of dogs were used to teach surgical procedures before they too were killed. When the records about this donation were released, it revealed 70 individuals on Colorado State University's acquisition records, These people were celebrated, respected kennel owners. One even had been honored by the NGA and they personally donated over 300 dogs to CSU. The Dean of CSU's vet school tried to justify their actions and claimed that the dogs would have likely died anyway, but the public was outraged and justifiably so. Two years later in June, 2000, more dirt was dug up on the racing industry when a story about NGA member, Daniel Shonka broke. He operated both a racing kennel in Wisconsin as well as greyhound adoption in Iowa, meaning he had credentials and trust. With that, Shanka allegedly obtained greyhounds from their owners who believed they were being adopted and sold them to a private research lab for profit. In three years, Shanka earned at least half a million dollars operating the scam. Many of the dogs were sold to a cardiac research lab in Minnesota. 1,086 dogs were traced back directly to Shanka and only 108 of them survived. The lab agreed to reverse the surgical procedures and release them for adoption. These acts aren't unique to the US either. Australian veterinarian nurses spoke out to ABC Australia in 2013, expressing how often greyhounds were brought to them, bled out and then killed. Selena Cottrell-Dormer stated, You get eight dogs dropped off. Sometimes they will be just absolutely bled to death and euthanized, put in a body bag and put in the freezer and taken away for incineration. That's absolutely routine. No one would bat an eye at that being the reality. Another nurse, Victoria Luxton Bain said, I still remember the first time I had to do it and I couldn't stop crying. I think my worst day was we had seven brought in by one person and we just had to do seven, one after the other." So, I mean, when you're euthanizing these dogs, they're not old dogs, they're completely healthy. You know, most of them were still standing there, wagging their tails and licking your face while you're actually euthanizing them. These innocent dogs were seen as disposable. In California, greyhounds are still the most common dog within the state's two licensed animal blood banks. Because both of these facilities are exempt from many public record laws, not much is known about how they operate. According to the LA Times, all we do know is that hundreds of dogs are kept caged in donor colonies for the sole purpose of drawing their blood every 10 to 14 days. The conditions of these blood banks, how the dogs are treated, all of that is hidden. As devastating as this episode has been, there is some hope. In recent years, more and more activists have spoken out and called for change. The American Greyhound Council was formed in 1987 to promote the adoption of X-racers an inspection system for racing and breeding kennels was put in place. And as multiple independent organizers were formed to rescue greyhounds, the interest in racing declined. The book, A Primer on Animal Rights, pointed to AGC and greyhound adoption as one of the driving forces that brought the racing industry to its knees. Over 150 privately funded independent rescue groups have been formed, creating more awareness of the issue meaning that the Greyhound racing industry itself has been forced to spend more and more money on advertising and portraying racing in a positive light, as opposed to Greyhounds themselves. Despite simulcasting wagering being introduced in the 80s, the ability to wager on races in other parts of the country, Greyhound racing has been steadily falling. States have started undoing what the racing industry saw as victories, banning simulcasting only a decade after it was introduced and banning wagering on live dog racing altogether. The industry saw the writing on the wall and tried to join forces with Native American casinos and state lotteries, but the nonprofit AGTOA, American Greyhound Track Operators Association, testified to Congress that this would only attract criminal activity. Between 2001, when Grey2K was formed, and 2012, the total government dog race revenue declined by 79%. In 2011, economic professors found that Greyhound Racing has a negative impact on state revenues and between June, 2012 and November, 2013, Florida tracks lost over $42 million. General manager of Melbourne Greyhound Park even admitted in 2014 that the business had been losing money for 11 years and added, what we are doing is a bit barbaric and we know that. Thiel of Grey2K isn't about to celebrate just yet though. I do think that as the industry declines, animal welfare issues become a greater problem. There's less money for the dog's care and more incentive to cheat, he told the Washington Post. Many of the abuse cases we discussed today were alarmingly recent, and it's taken far longer than expected for states to make the necessary changes to ban dog racing for good. The mindset of those within the industry reflects why, as industry spokesman Sam Burnett claimed in 2013 that cruelty is subjective, and sometimes a trainer might have to pick up a dog and throw it in order to stop a dogfight. fight. Thankfully, the hard work that activists have put in has begun to pay off. Florida, widely considered the heart of dog racing, has even changed their policies. In 2018, Floridians passed Amendment 13 to ban Greyhound racing by the end of 2020. Ray 2K is now at work trying to ban racing in West Virginia, Iowa, and Arkansas, the only states left that still consistently race as of writing this. But this also includes countries like Australia, Ireland, Mexico, New Zealand, the UK, and Vietnam. States where dog racing is still allowed aren't seeing nearly the amount of profits they used to either. While the story isn't over, a happy ending is in sight. Greyhounds are being adopted into loving families throughout the country, Tracks in Alabama and Texas have gone out of business and the industry has withered. The executive director of the NGA himself has admitted that much to his chagrin, he can see a day when greyhounds will no longer run in America. I do see greyhounds still running, but hopefully in big grassy backyards instead. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Prism of the Past. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're following along with this series so that you can always stay updated when we release a new episode. If you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, please make sure to check your description box for my Linktree link. It's just a nice organized list of all of my social media and other projects that I'm involved in. And if you wanna take things a step even further, I do have a Patreon finally that I set up and in there there's extra episodes, private chatting server, we watch movies, we hang out, it's very cool. So if you wanna check that out, links of course are also in the Linktree link. Thank you so much for making it to today's episode. I hope you learned something new and I'll see you in the next one, bye.